Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And welcome In the Booth, everybody, on a Wednesday, middle of a very busy week. Orange basketball moving to 2-0 last night. Football on the road this Saturday with a crucial penultimate game of the regular season. They take on the daunting Louisville Cardinals, who, uh, while they have not had the season, they would have hoped they still have arguably the most explosive player in all of college football. And we're talking about all of that with you. You can join us by phone at 437-7644 or 4ESPN44. Well... The uh, Orange with a basketball win last night against the team that we uh, told you would be up to the challenge. The Iona Gales uh, certainly were that, and it wound up being a 71-62 game. Syracuse could not put Iona away as the Gales came back with uh, one quality shot after another as needed. The most memorable really was in the first half at the end of the shot clock. A banked-in three was something that seems to happen a couple times a season, and uh Iona hung tough. That's a team that's going to win a bunch of games this year and uh, likely be right there again in uh, the Metro Atlantic Conference, the MAC, with a chance to uh, get to the NCAA tournament again. And for Syracuse, they found a way to win. Tyus Battle extraordinary in the second half with 23 points after halftime. Double-digit scoring for Frank Howard, who had a new career high, and uh, the same for uh, O'Shea Brissett as he had his... A uh, 12-point game in his second start in a Syracuse uniform. So uh, all's well that ends well, and uh, victory number two uh, in the books for the uh, Syracuse basketball team. Texas Southern coming up next. Texas Southern likely will be uh, 0-3 coming into that one. They uh, have lost at Gonzaga and then close to Washington State. They actually went to overtime at Washington State. They play at Ohio State tomorrow night, and then on Saturday in the Dome here at 7 o'clock. We'll talk with Jim Beheim tonight on our second AmeriCue Jim Beheim show of the season. That's over at Shaughnessy's Irish Pub in the Marriott Syracuse downtown. So tonight at 7 o'clock, Coach Baver's there tomorrow at 7 o'clock as well. And then we'll be back into a little bit of a routine after Thanksgiving with, in fact, uh, Coach Babers will have a, another radio show next Tuesday. But uh, as for Coach Beheim, when we get to November 30th, uh, that Thursday, a week after Thanksgiving, We'll settle into a routine with him on his show. Want to get to some of the comments from Coach from last night. And certainly when you look at Tyus Battle, a player the Orange are going to have to lean on uh, over the course of the season. Battle, five points in the first half, 23 in the second. We've made comparisons between he and Malachi Richardson before. That was a Malachi Richardson-type performance and a new career scoring high for Battle. Tyus is a guy that if they're playing man-to-man, which in reality, even though it's a matchup, they get man-to-man at certain times, and he's hard to guard. He's hard to guard. Battle with the 28-point game and finding ways to get to the rim, to get to the free throw line, that'll be a key part of what he's doing throughout the year. As for Frank Howard, first time in his career, a 40-minute game, which uh, is worth pointing out in the first place, 
and uh, able to score a new career high 15. I don't think the Orange need him to score 25 points. He's not going to fill it up from deep on a regular basis. We've got some of the highlights that we can share for you as we go. But as for Coach Beheim on Howard, uh, a complete performance for Frank, including uh, a characteristic uh, turnover or two that the Orange will work to cut down on. I think Frank can do that. Frank got to the basket, but I thought Frank had a few places where he could have pulled up and, and hit. He's just – he's still – He's never really played the point in high school, and he played some, some in the some, but not much. And he's never really had the. He's played it, but he hasn't really had big minutes. And it'll take him a little time to get used to it. This tonight was a good step, I thought, a really good step. He made a good move at the end of the half, got to the basket, hit a couple of big threes in the first half. Uh, I think he's right there. I think he can do better, uh, and I think he will do better. Well, uh, Coach Beheim has been steadfast in his um, – he's obviously been critical of Frank Howard too, and, and Frank has had a short leash. But uh, really from the end of last season on, uh, Coach Beheim has been in the mode of building up Frank Howard, knowing that uh, he's a key part of what is uh, going to happen this year, and they're going to need him to really perform as he did last night. I think if he did something like that on a regular basis, for the most part, you would take it. And – you know, five turnovers you would prefer not to have, but uh, that sort of comes with the the way he plays. He piped uh, a late shot clock deep three, uh, needs to hit the open ones there enough to keep the, the defense honest. I don't know that Frank's a 40% three-point shooter, but if he's in the low to mid-30s and something reasonable and is a threat from distance, then uh, you've got something there. So couple of uh, little items as a taste. We'll break away and visit with uh, Jim Sadlin and talk through the game with him a little bit. Uh, Jim, of course, had the uh, radio call last night. And then I uh, want to get you Bob Sosi, the uh, play-by-play announcer of the New England Patriots. He's an Auburn native, and uh, so for that reason alone, he'd be worth uh, having on the show. But uh, Patriots keep right on rolling, and we'll get a little window into uh, what makes them tick in an unusual week for the Pats. They went out to Denver and won and they're staying in Denver because their next game is against the Raiders in Mexico City. So uh, we'll check in with Bob Sosi between a couple of obligations that they have out west for the Pats. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Guy is driving, looking for 26 and a step back. He's not missing. Free throw line jumper battle shakes his head. They can't guard him right now. It's 65-55. Welcome back in the booth, brought to you by CH Insurance, cnyrealtor.com, and uh, Burdick Ford. Good to have you with us up until 3 o'clock today. Bob Sosi, the voice of the New England Patriots, and an Auburn, uh, New York native, will join us in just a bit. Now we welcome in our Pittsburgh Steeler fan and friend Jim Sadlin. Steelers are on a roll there, Coach. Well, Matthew, and, uh, you know, they've got an easy schedule, and they've played some teams, and their schedule from now on is, is pretty easy, too, so... I, I hate to say this, but I can see them tripping and falling in the first round of the playoffs unless they start playing a lot better than they are right now. Well, I enjoyed uh, watching the uh, playoffs last year with you and Polly, Steeler fans, uh, on the basketball road, and hopefully we get an opportunity to do that again. So they need to hang in yeah. there just long enough for us to have a nice little party and watch a game. Yeah, at least do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Past two years, we've watched the Steelers' playoff games in uh, in Durham. 
it's two years in a row, I think, we've done that. That's right. We've been down there in Duke this year. The games, are, I think, in Duke is real late, so it wouldn't be there. But uh, but we'll certainly pick out a spot if they're playing someplace. Absolutely. That's right. I haven't looked that far ahead. Well, um, a couple things to touch base with, with you on, and certainly the game last night. Anything strike you beyond – uh, you know, kind of the, the superficial there where it looked like, you know, the best player on the floor clearly in Tyus Battle was uh, able to take over the game. I, I think, if anything, there's the uh, gulp effect that he had to take over the game, but uh, Tyus Battle's awfully good. Yeah, he really is. And he, he uh, he's such a talented offensive player. And I think he can be a real good man to man defensive player as well. He just doesn't have the opportunity to particularly show that. At Syracuse, but he uh, he just it's great when you've got a player like that at the end of the shot clock and it's really running down. This is in the booth with Matt Park. Guy is driving, looking for 26 and a step back. He's not missing. Free throw line jumper battle shakes his head. They can't guard him right now. It's 65-55. Welcome back in the booth. Brought to you by CH Insurance, CNYRealtor.com. And uh, Burdick Ford, good to have you with us up until 3 o'clock today. Bob Sosi, the voice of the New England Patriots and an Auburn, uh, New York native, will join us in just a bit. Now we welcome in our Pittsburgh Steeler fan and friend Jim Sadlin. Steelers are on a roll there, coach. Well, Matthew, and, uh, you know, they've got an easy schedule and they've played some teams and their schedule from now on is, is pretty easy, too. So I, I hate to say this, but I can see them tripping and falling in the first round of the playoffs unless they start playing a lot better than they are right now. Well, I enjoyed uh, watching the uh, playoffs last year with you and Polly, Steeler fans, uh, on the basketball road, and hopefully we get an opportunity to do that again. So they need to hang in yeah. there just long enough for us to have a nice little party and watch a game. Yeah, at least do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. past two years, we've watched the Steelers playoff games in uh, in Durham. It's two years in a row, I think, we've done that. That's right. We've been down there in Duke this year. The games, are, I think, in Duke is real late, so it wouldn't be there. But uh, but we'll certainly pick out a spot if they're playing someplace. Absolutely. That's right. I haven't looked that far ahead. Well, um, a couple things to touch base with, with you on, and certainly the game last night. Anything strike you beyond... Uh, you know, kind of the, the superficial there where it looked like, you know, the best player on the floor clearly in Tyus Battle was uh, able to take over the game. I, I think, if anything, there's the uh, gulp effect that he had to take over the game, but uh, Tyus Battle's awfully good. Yeah, he really is. And he, he uh, he's such a talented offensive player, and I think he can be a real good man to man defensive player as well. He just doesn't have the opportunity to particularly show that. At Syracuse, but he uh, he just it's great when you've got a player like that at the end of the shot clock and it's really running down and need somebody to take over and score. He did that last night at least two or three times where he went to the basket or he stopped and had a fallback jump shot and uh, he just looked like he was a man among boys last night. So it's it's great to have a guy like him on this team. You got to keep him healthy and and keep him out of foul trouble and. Uh, uh, he'll always keep Syracuse in the game, I think, if he, if you got him on the floor. But there was a lot of other positive notes yesterday, too, Matt. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that Pascal Chukwa played the best game I've ever seen him play. He played the best I've ever seen him count practices or anything else. He was very aggressive early on and, uh, you know, dunked a couple when he got the ball down low. He rebounded the ball well. He blocked some shots. And, uh, you know, I, I think that if he's starting to get his 
feet under him a little bit here and, and start to do what a lot of people hoped that he could do when he transferred out of Providence. And uh, if he does, he makes this a, a completely, totally different team, especially when you, you know, you have Barama Sidibe at the same time, the freshman coming in and playing 18 or 20 minutes. And when they play together like this, that's a, that's a potent force there in the middle of the zone. Sure is. And, you know, what do you think is that step for Pascal that we've been looking to see? Is it just the aggressiveness? Because, you know, he's a guy that when you really think about it has not played a lot of basketball, period, let alone recently due to his injuries and the transfer year. Yeah, and I think that's that's what people sometimes fail to understand, probably me and you at the same time. And you, you're expecting a little bit more because of his size, because of the fact he played pretty well his first year at Providence and the coaches were real excited when they got him to come in as a transfer. But I think he, um, you're right. I mean, he didn't, he didn't play much in high school, probably a few years. And then he comes here and now he sits out and he had to sit out a full year as a transfer. Then last year he only played a few games before he got hurt and then sat that whole year. And so, you know, he hasn't played a lot of basketball games. And I thought that last night was the first time that we really saw him when they gave him the ball down low that he just went up and tried to dunk it. And he did dunk it twice. And, uh, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of people that can stop that. And I think that if he can stay out of foul trouble and just stay in the middle, and I know they tell him this all the time, the coaches, that just get in the middle and get your hands up as high as you can. You don't even need to use your body to, to roll into somebody or to try to block every shot. Just get your hands up. Force people to shoot over the top of a seven foot two guy with an, uh, an arm span, wingspan of whatever. And, uh, so I, I think maybe we're just, you know, hopefully anyways, we're just seeing the beginning of, of what he can be. And uh, if that's the case, he makes Syracuse a totally different team. Jim Sadler is our guest, had the uh, call of the game with Brian Higgins on the radio last night. And after uh, one brief game off that we'll allow this weekend, we'll have Coach uh, back with us the rest of the way for the year. And, you know, I, I know you, certainly the fans are, and I know you to probably a little bit lesser extent with a, a coach's mindset start to look at the distribution of minutes and roles uh, kind of formulating. Is it too early to see that right now? But uh, but for my money, the, the guy who's playing more than I anticipated this year was is Marek Dolajai, who I, I think if they had their druthers, he looks to me to be a redshirt candidate, and uh, he's coming in and making an impact right away. Well, no question of that. And I think, uh, you know, in answer to your first part of it, yeah, I mean, I think that, that Jim Bayham is starting to formulate some things in his mind of minutes. And, you know, you kind of saw a little bit of it last night. Um, Howard Washington did not play last night as a backup point guard. And, uh, you know, he had seen time, and certainly in the, in the first two exhibition games, plus Cornell. Um, but, you know, Howard and Battle was a tight game, and, and Jim wanted to go with uh, somebody he trusts, uh, older guys, and to make sure they get their win. And uh, and even Geno Thorpe didn't play a lot of minutes last night. Um, you know, but you're right, Marek uh, Dolzhai is is a shock to me. I mean, he really is. When I saw him in practice, I thought, you know, absolutely, he may be a, a redshirter. And probably the reason that he wasn't is because they only have nine scholarship players. Correct. And they couldn't afford to redshirt him because of that. And uh, uh, now all of a sudden he's taking some gigantic leaps here, and I think he's uh, he, he gives them, you know, he's still physically weak, and he's going to get knocked around once he gets against bigger and stronger. We saw that last night that Iona, not a real tall team, but a real physical 
well-built team. They were knocking them all over the place like a pinball, too. But but he keeps bouncing back, and he's got a nose for the ball, and he, and he can get to the right spot. And if he could ever make a jump shot, if he ever could improve his jump shooting, which hopefully he will, um, he really could be a talented player because like, all the other skills he really has. And uh, so I'm, I'm surprised that he's playing as much, but I'm pleasantly surprised because he's playing terrific right now. 22 minutes uh, for him last night. He and uh, Matthew Moyer kind of splitting. They they combined for the 40 minutes, and uh, Moyer did not have uh, anything going for him offensively last night. Took just one shot. It was a three and uh, early in the game, uh, probably out of his range, he did have five rebounds. And Dolajai, six boards to go with seven points. Uh, as you said, he's got a, a knack for the game. That Kind of the, the ball finds its way to him. He's a decent passer, has a, a feel for where everybody is, uh, spacing out the floor. Um, so now Texas Southern is next. And different animal in terms of the program, the, the way they're put together. But that's another one in the category, Coach. And I think we're going to say this a bunch through this next little bit here of teams that have NCAA tournament aspirations. Texas Southern has been there regularly as uh, four years in a row. They've been the regular season champion in their league. They've won the conference tournament to get the automatic qualification for the tournament three of the last four. So, uh, you know, another team that's right in that name. They won't necessarily win as many games because of the way they approach their non-conference schedule. Yeah, and we talked about it a little bit on the air last night, but you know, their the first 13 games this year are on the road. And it's not 13 games against, you know, Cornell's and Colgate's and so on. I mean, they're at Gonzaga, at Washington State, at Kansas, at Baylor, at Syracuse, at Brigham Young. I mean, they're playing all kinds of tough teams. Probably won't win any of those games. I mean, right. maybe they'll sneak one of them out someplace. But, you know, they could very easily be 0-13. And, and, uh, but that doesn't seem to affect them because they know they're a one-bid league. And if they can be strong going into the conference, but the fact that they've played all these good teams and they have some confidence that way, then uh, that propels them. And Mike Davis is obviously a good coach. You know, he took Indiana to the final championship game, and he, uh, he's he been at Birmingham where they went to the NCAA. So, I mean, he's been around and he's had some success. So, you know, he's got some good players. He's going to have some transfers. He's going to have some guys in there that are pretty good players. And, and, uh, you know, it's one of those games again that Syracuse has to be ready to play. They can't just walk in here and say to themselves that, you know, um, Texas Southern's 0-6 or whatever they're going to be at the time, 0-3, you know, we'll, we'll hammer them. Um, that's not really going to be the case. I mean, they're going to have some athletes, and Syracuse is going to have to continue to progress every game here and get a little bit better. I thought Syracuse was better last night than they were against Cornell, even though the, the, the point differential was different. It was the, the talent level of... Iona and Cornell was different as well. So, um, you know, I think they just have to take it one step at a time. I mean, I know it's the old cliche, but if they could just kind of get a little bit better every game, then maybe they'll surprise some people here. Sure, and, you know, we'll have you on again, obviously, and certainly during the games, but I want to ask you around Christmas time to what extent you feel like the team is getting better because of this type of schedule where – you do have to be ready to play, and and this is a team that is going to have to get better over the course of the year. We've seen plenty of Syracuse teams that you know are among the most talented in the country, and they could walk over Iona and St. Mm-hmm. Bonaventure and Texas Southern. Uh, this year's team will not do that. They'll have to earn it, and uh, it's very much in front of them. So we'll table that for another time. Hey, uh, I'm sure Brian asked you this last night, and, and I hadn't heard your thoughts, but um, – what would you do if you're Steve Alford? You got these uh, 
kids that have now come back to the states after the the trouble they got in at UCLA, and and that's a that's where the coaches earn their big bucks, huh? Figuring out how to uh, handle appropriate punishment here. Yeah, you know it's interesting that uh, um, I was reading the article in the USA this morning uh, about it, and they uh, they're surprised that the, the the decision hasn't already been rendered, and that they you know they're going to sit out three games or four games or whatever, and. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you look at these these kids and they made a, a mistake that 18-year-olds make. I mean, it, it was a dumb thing to do. You go into a different country and you do some things. But you know what? I made dumb decisions when I was 18 and so did a lot of other people too. But now that, that they're back and now you look at it and you say, okay, you know, how, how, how do we learn from something like this? You know, the unfortunate part about it is that LeVar Ball is involved. <laughs> and that makes the story bigger than anything it was be. If it was just three guys over there, you know, there would be a thing that would be done with already. But, <clears throat> you know, you got this guy that's just going to say whatever he wants to say in his stupid statement about, you know, it's not a big deal. Well, yeah, it is a big deal. It's a big deal to do it in another country. It's a big deal to do it, period. When the president you know, gets looking, involved, it's a big deal. You know, yeah, I mean, it's almost condoning the fact that, you know, uh, he committed a crime here, and that's no big deal, you know. So I I, I feel bad for um, for these young kids. I mean, they're going to pay the penalty. There's no question of that somewhat. Uh, I don't know whether Steve Alford as the coach is going to make this decision. He might make it in conjunction with the AD, with the president even, or yeah. whoever well, we, else we've, is do, do, we've does those, word those that... kind of things. But there's going to be something there. I mean, there has to be something there. They just can't allow this to... To, to go unfettered and okay, you missed one game and then that's going to be enough. You know, they they did embarrass the university and, and themselves and the, the team and you know everybody else. So that's uh, going to going to something's going to come down and and my guess would be that it's not just going to be Steve Alford making this decision as the coach. There's going to be more people involved. Right. Well, the uh, word coming down now is that they've been suspended indefinitely, which um, oh. you know doesn't really tell us anything. Um, other than it, uh, you know, obviously com- it com- is an action of commitment on UCLA's part, and it buys them a little time to to figure it out. Here's a quote from Steve Alford today uh, at his uh, news conference. They'll have to earn their way back was, was his mm-hmm. phrase. So um, that gives him a little bit of, uh, of wiggle room here to kind of uh, figure it out in time and uh, referred to it as an inexcusable lapse of judgment. Now they'll have to live with that. So mm-hmm, uh, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see what's next. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. Good, my friend. We will uh, turn you loose. Look forward to uh, chatting again. Enjoy uh, Thanksgiving, and well, not. Well, I'll see you before then. Obviously, we'll see you. Yeah, we'll talk to you before then, and uh, have a great game this weekend. And uh, hopefully, Syracuse can go down to Louisville and steal one down there as well. It'll be a nice, nice doubleheader weekend for the Cuse. I hear that. That would obviously be a. A huge uh, victory for the football team to uh, to get back on track. All right, Coach Sadlin, I uh, appreciate his being with us. Jim Sadlin, you can catch him, uh, not this next game, but uh, back at it on Monday. The Orange uh, have the games Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, leading up to Thanksgiving with uh, after Texas Southern, Oakland, and then Toledo, all part of the preliminary to the tournament that feeds into that game in Miami against Kansas on December 2nd. When we come back, we'll go off the beaten path a little bit to talk Patriots football with Bob Sosi, their play-by-play announcer. He's with the team in Denver. They stayed out there after beating the Broncos on Sunday night. They've got the Raiders in Mexico City up next. We'll 
Get their pulse when we come back in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. Yeah, I'm never going to tell you how to do your job or do anything else, but I will say this definitively. No ketchup on hot dogs. I'm you sorry. i got to draw the line somewhere, man. Okay, and that's here, where it is. here's the deal, because my wife even hammered me on this. <laughs> I, I heard the question, but it didn't register. Okay. I really don't put ketchup on my hot dogs. Good. And I'm getting slammed Good. everywhere for it, so I totally agree. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6, ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. Live from the powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM Syracuse. And 100.1 FM Oswego. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it up to the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal There he is, the voice of Bob Sosi, our friend, Auburn, New York native, and the voice of the New England Patriots, who joins us in the booth here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Hello, Robert. How are you? Hey, I'm good, I'm good Matt, and uh, the one-time voice of the Delmarver Shore. Yes, he yeah. The privilege uh, of calling Matt Park a South Atlantic League colleague <laughs> with the Piedmont Bowl Peoples. I was going to get to that. <laughs> not, not really. I'm I don't know sorry. if that was on the list, but if you, if you would like to break down uh, Ryan Miner... <laughs> and the the double play combination that was uh, Eddie Garabito and whoever else was there at the time we could we could do that. I, I think we might be the only ones interested. You know who I, I did see so, recently is we could uh, talk about Ricky Williams. I mean, there is a football connection there. I did see uh, Dave Mackimer recently. He was uh, scouting for the Orioles. Um. I, I guess I never caught up on his claim to fame. Do you know that he hit a home run in his first major league at bat and then never again? His, his very first at bat. I didn't know that he never hit another one, but I heard yeah. a lot about that first at bat. <laughs> Working with him. I think I, you know, I spent 144 games with him one season, and I think I heard about it at least 140 of those 144 days. Also, I, I looked up the, you know, I like to, uh, you probably do the same. You look up the random box score thing from some of these games and you go down this <laughs> rabbit hole on, on the sports reference sites of all the different stuff. But he he uh, played with that uh, that Lyman Bostock, who uh, an infamous kind of uh, baseball name, a guy with all kinds of talent. was yeah. His career cut short, obviously. He was killed when he was shot in a mistaken identity, the Right, the guy that shot him thought he was somebody else. How about yeah, that? Yeah, I and mean, speaking of going down the rabbit hole, I'm yeah. on a somewhat morbid. Day. We already have. We've, we've really done that, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> as, as your ratings continue to plummet. That's, that's right. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, you pointing that out. Um, all right, so let, let's bring it back. You know, I I thought I would. I started this new show ill advisedly, probably, but. Um, and I thought, you know, at some point I'm going to have uh, Bob on and talk Patriots and get plugged into just what makes them tick. And then I thought this particular week it would be appropriate as uh, the Patriots are on the road, staying out there after uh, beating the Broncos in Denver on Sunday night and kind of hanging out there to, to bide time until this trip to, uh, to, uh, Oak, or to play Oakland in, uh, in Mexico City. So what all is happening this week? Yeah, Matt, the way the schedule worked out, as you noted, the Patriots were in Denver for a Sunday night game. And then at 5,200-plus feet, uh, playing the Broncos, they have climbed now to Colorado Springs for the week to prepare uh, at over 6,000 feet 
And then eventually they're going to play on Sunday afternoon at 7,300 feet against the Raiders in Mexico City. And for Bill Belichick, it really was a no-brainer, I think. He looked at the schedule, the travel considerations, but all things uh, you know, uh, being equal, the difference maker was ultimately uh, the uh, elevation and the opportunity to try to get somewhat acclimated to it. And when I talked to Bill O'Brien as the head coach of the Texans uh, back at the NFL scouting combine, the one thing that he said he wished he had rethought was how the Texans dealt with the elevation. It was a factor, I think more so, uh, certainly going to Mexico City again at 70, 300-plus feet, than when a team plays at Denver. So for the Patriots, it's a great opportunity to avoid traveling back and forth, uh, to experience some team body, and they've had success with that in the past. Back in 2014, really a, a pivotal week for them was spent between the loss at Green Bay and a win over San Diego that really was a springboard down the stretch. Uh, they spent a week in Southern California, again, avoiding that uh, cross-country flight, uh, uh, going back from Green Bay and then going from Boston out to San Diego. They just went from Green Bay and continued to San Diego. And uh, what they found is the side benefit is that not only did they avoid the travel, uh, but they came together much closer as a team, and I think they're enjoying the experience here, especially in Colorado Springs. It's not like you're in a big city or it's close to big cities where guys can get away and kind of go out on their own when they're given some downtime. So, you know, it's really been beneficial in that respect as well. But there's the practical considerations too. I, you know, I'd like to think that um... – Every team, if they had these two games back-to-back, would think to do what the Patriots are doing. But I think we've seen over time the Patriots and Bill Belichick in particular are just always a step ahead. Has that been your observation? And you're you're so close to it, obviously, and and aren't as close to other organizations. But is that accurate, you know, what we see from afar that – the Patriots get a lot of credit for being smarter, but, boy, it's hard to refute. It it seems like they do so many of those types of things right. Yeah, Matt, you know, sometimes locally they get criticized uh, with a perception being uh, for those on the outside, and I think especially because of the guardedness of Belichick uh, and and the Patriots and not allowing outsiders to have an inside peek uh, beyond, uh, you know, the the football walls at Gillette Stadium. Uh, there's a, a perception that the Patriots are arrogant and carry themselves as if they are smarter than everybody else. And while I speak with a biased point of view as well, I think there was truth to that uh, sentiment that you just expressed in that, you know, if the Patriots think that way, well, they have reason to, and I'm not suggesting that they do. I think one of the things about the NFL that Belichick points out all the time to his players is that more games are lost than are won. And part of the Belichick genius is simply paying attention to detail and training your football players to be aware of situations. I talked to a player, Kyle Van Noy, who began his career with Detroit the other day on a conference call and asked him how much he's learned in the last year about situational football. And he said it's been tremendous. Uh, it's been a, a remarkable learning experience for him in just a year's time around the Patriots, even though I'm sure the, the Lions, for example, cover a lot of situations with their players. So the Patriots, it's different. These guys go into the building on Monday, and even before they've gotten the game plan, uh, from the team, which is installed on Wednesday, they're quizzed on the opposition. They've got to have a pretty good idea of, you know, as they're going in on Monday to lift weights, who their responsibility is likely to be and who are the key players on the team they're going to face the following Sunday. 
So there's the attention to detail, the opposition. There's the attention to detail of the situation uh, in the red zone. Uh, if this certain situation pops up, how do we react? What, what do we do uh, in, in that particular spot? And yeah, I'm mad. And Belichick is a great student of history, and not only of the history of the game and opponents, but his own history. And often the Patriots just recycle what works or what has worked in the past. And, you know, again, it goes back to that premise that we're not going to do things to lose games, first and foremost. And you have a great quarterback like Tom Brady, who is a coach on the field and has tremendous situational awareness and smart. And like you say, I think the Patriots do things differently than others, and maybe they take this step uh, and, and they've give, been given the resources by Robert Kraft and ownership to do it this way uh, that other teams might not take. Uh, and I think that's reflective of the overall thinking of Belichick and the progressiveness of the Patriots. Bob Sosi, the voice of the New England Patriots on the radio, is with us. And, you know, I, I th- thought I heard this correctly. Is it 12 straight road wins? 12 straight road wins. Yeah. Didn't lose a road game all last season. So that's incredible. So we're sitting here where Syracuse needs to win on the road at Louisville this week to have any hope still of making a bowl and hasn't won a game on the road in more than a calendar year. But a, a lot of those things, when you're talking about it, the to win on the road, by definition, you have to do the little things to make up for the crowd and the lack of comfort level. And, and that, to me, is one of the great indicators of, of what makes the Pats special. Yeah, Matt, and I think like you look at the, the game the other night against the Broncos. What was the most important unit in, in terms of shaping the complexion of that game, especially early on, was the special team of the Patriots. And Belichick is, again, locally, I know it may seem uh, uh, incredible to outsiders, uh, sometimes he's criticized for his management of the roster uh, as the GM in addition to being the head coach. And you know, one of the knocks, especially early this season, was why did they have so many core special teams guys? But the defense was having a tough time. They were banged up. And yet he continued to carry more core special teamers than just about anybody else, if not indeed more than everybody else. And you see in the game against the Broncos where the Patriots capitalized on a buff punt, uh, and they had scouted Isaiah McKenzie uh, to the point where they understood that this was a strong probability and you know, the gunner was there in position. Uh, another player who, who was active only because of his special teams value that night, Jacob Hollis, was there to recover. They block a punt, and it's Rex Burkhead, who's a very good uh, running back, a good receiver out of the backfield, but you know, makes a big play uh, rushing up the middle to block a punt. And I think one of the reasons why they signed him is that he is, in Belichick's mind, a four-down player, uh, a guy who had special teams experience with Cincinnati. Uh, they get a kickoff return from Deion Lewis for a touchdown immediately after the Broncos score. And later, and again, a testament to, uh, I think, where this team is so far ahead of everybody else sometimes in subtle ways, they catch the Broncos trying to get the right personnel on the field, the wrong personnel off the field, and 12 men on the field in a punting situation that prolongs a scoring drive. And Now, the Pats picked up two first downs in that game because the Broncos were caught with the 12th man on the field. Uh, it's been something we've seen on a regular basis with this team, not only this season, but uh, you know, throughout my five years of covering the Pats. And you know, when you look at that particular situation, it's not coincidence. Right. Brady has an awareness, and Josh McDaniels has an awareness. And if players talk about anticipating into other positions, they have a sense when Tom's going to call them to hurry to the line and snap the ball to try to catch the other team with an extra defender out there. Well, it's it's impressive. I, I said on the show the other day here that um, 
one of the best compliments I've heard about any coach ever uh, related to Belichick the other day uh, on the, the, the NBC Sunday night broadcast, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, and they basically said, you know, if you don't know what your weakness is as a team, you, you better self-scout your own team because he's going to identify your weakness for you. So you better know what it's going to be because they obviously, uh, the Patriots are well-equipped to go after, with their own strengths, to go after whatever your weakness is, and they exploit it, and, and it was uh, textbook yeah, you know, the other night. Yeah, I mean, quickly to follow up on that, one of the things I remember hearing early last season after the Cardinals were beaten by the Patriots in week one in a surprise because Garoppolo was starting a quarterback and the Cardinals came into the season as a favorite to get to the Super Bowl, I heard some people speculate uh, through uh, lead sources that you know people around the NFL say that it's good to lose to the Patriots early in the season because they're going to pull it out and expose all your flaws. Fortunately, the Cardinals didn't take it as a positive and learning experience. Uh, that was a loss that they really never seemed to recover from. Right. You know, it's... Uh... What an interesting game! It <laughs> I was at the uh, the Bills Saints game on uh, on Sunday. The Bills, who've had a pretty decent year, completely uh, non competitive against the Saints team. Now this one seven in a row, and then the Bills go into panic mode, change quarterbacks this week, etc. And and uh, th- that's why you, you really do notice uh, the the organizations that seem to have that stability and benefit from it, which is obviously a, a cause and effect. So uh, good stuff to to hear you, Bob, and uh, awfully proud of you. And and the advance, you know, long way from the Delmarva Shorebirds at, at this point. You're, you're calling a, an NFL game in Mexico City, which should be cool. Do you have any time to? Uh, what's the itinerary? Do you get into explore it at all? No, you know, Matt, not much. I yeah. think uh, again, uh, as part of the plan all along, the Pats are going to travel to Mexico City uh, relatively late on Saturday. And I think the the general thought is, and again, based on what others around the league have said through their experience, and even from the soccer world is that if you can't get there for an extended stay to try to get acclimated, the next best thing is spend as little time as possible there. I heard that. Uh, the Patriots are going to go in on Saturday. Obviously, there are other considerations going into a place like Mexico City in, in terms of security and safety and, and even uh, the air quality and the food quality. So, you know, there's a lot logistically that the Patriots and all the teams that have gone to Mexico City, including the Texans and Raiders last year, have to uh, attend to. It'll be fascinating to me to see just how the Raiders handle things, having had that experience relative to the Patriots, and if the Pats were able to pull off a win on Sunday and you know handle it conditioning-wise and so forth. Yep, very cool. We'll be watching and listening. Uh, Bob, appreciate it, and we'll, we'll talk again down the road, okay? Matt, as always, thanks so much. You're a good man. Bob Sosi of the New England Patriots uh, radio broadcast team, he and uh, Scott Zolak, and off to Mexico City they go. Uh, what an interesting environment that'll be. Looking forward to watching that one on the weekend, the Patriots and the Raiders. Back to wrap up our show in just a bit. We're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care. The University of Arkansas now has a job opening for a new athletic director. ESPN reports Jeff Long was fired today with the school's chancellor saying Long had lost the support of their fans, alumni, and members of the university staff. Even though he's on the outs, the university will honor Long's contract, which runs through June of 2022. That's an interesting one. He's uh, long thought to be one of the best. He was uh, part of the uh, original college football playoff committee. I believe he's done the basketball committee a time or two, pretty well respected uh, in the industry. And uh, I don't follow Arkansas closely enough to know just how said 
confidence or support may have been lost. I know they haven't had a tremendous football season, and uh, the thought that uh, Brett Bielema was in trouble has certainly come up. And the Bobby Petrino thing was obviously odd, but that's happened a long time ago, and he's shown him the door. So I, I think uh, Long came out on the right side of that one. I know I'd like to have a job that paid you to not work it. Yes, I was thinking I mean, the same thing. That would be tremendous. <laughs> June I would, of 20, I'm not going to comment 20, on that. Yeah, I some, mean, that's close to five I years. That in my job anyways. <laughs> close to five years. Well, you two both, but uh, get paid. he's going to get paid for the next five years. And somebody's going to hire him, whether he goes to another school, which he certainly would be capable of, or a consultancy or a search firm or something like that. I, uh, people that I know that know Jeff Long better would uh, swear by him in, in terms of uh, his ability to fit into a team. And today is National Clean Out Your Refrigerator Day. It dates back to 1999. Apparently, it was created by the appliance company Whirlpool as a way of encouraging people to clean out their fridge ahead of the holidays. Love it. Uh, Will not be observing it. Uh, (laughs) Should be. Um, I typically have what I call the bachelor fridge, which uh, means if you can't drink it or spread it, it, I don't have it. Mm. Um, And now I've gone the exact opposite because I'm a dope, and I've signed up to... Not one, but two of these uh, meal delivery places, right? Which I would swear by, especially for any like single dude. They're a great, great uh, plan, but I don't really have the time to make the food at home. So I have a fridge stocked with all kinds of like actual real food and very little time to make it or eat it. My fridge is a disaster of to-go boxes, uh, like lots of Moe's plates and uh, chicken wing bones. Nothing makes you feel better than getting that stuff organized. I it's celebrate, such a pain in the butt. But to, c- to do that and do the laundry and do the dishes and do the... What a weight off that is. I celebrated this holiday two weeks ago. My fridge is very clean right now. Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. Do we still like that as a title for this segment? Because, I mean, these things are kind of interesting. I mean, do we care the status of Polly's fridge? I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't care less. That's exactly why we call it, do we Okay. Care? And the song is I Don't Care Anymore when we come into it. So, Got that. No, I picked up on that. I'm not quite that thick. It's ten- <laughs> tends to be things we don't care about, like Arkansas. I actually do. I mean, it's, it's national days. I don't know who decides the national days, you know, Donut Day and, and whatever. I mean, I'm easily uh, swayed by them. But National Clean Out Your Refrigerator Day is a day that that should be. The problem is it's not like you, what are you going to do, stay at home all day and do it? I mean, that's it could be a full-time job. That To me... If you're going to clean out the fridge, that's like a Saturday morning, get it done, entice yourself with football, you know, that you can you can watch the football when it's over. I think that's I have a big no project. to throw out, now that I think about yeah. it. Yeah, you might want to get on that. <laughs> All right, back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a show. Watermelon Jelly Ranchers and more. Back with more of that dreck. Two o'clock tomorrow. Later. Get the latest about Syracuse football. Get a preview of every game from Coach Dino Babers. You know, we're going to have the toughest schedule in the country next year. I'll push all in on anybody. It's not lip service. Look at the schedule. Get recaps from former players and the media that follows every play. Uh, he is obviously the best quarterback on the roster right now. It does not take watching many minutes to discern that. No one brings you more Syracuse football. We are the pulse of the orange. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. One.